Okay, so um, we're continuing. So this kind of started during quarantine. Uh, during quarantine, we were started live streaming Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Is I was doing a series on the Sermon on the Mount called Kingdom Minded. So we looked at the Beatitudes on that. And so the whole point kind of behind this series to give context on it is um, Jesus, when he started his ministry in Matthew four seventeen, he said, okay, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what he's saying is, like, if we have repented, what repentance means, it means a change of thinking that leads to a change in action. And so if we become kingdom-minded, that means we repent, means we no longer, let's say, want to live for ourselves. We no longer want to associate with our old way of living. So because we no longer think that way, we want to think just heavenly things. We now want to live for Christ. That means it'll lead to a change in action that we're living for Christ now. So we change our thinking that leads to a change in, in our actions. And so if we've repented and believed in Christ... We're now a follower of Christ. We're now a citizen of heaven, a citizen of the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to represent the kingdom? What does it mean to live out this newness of life, this citizenship that we now have? And so that's kind of what we look at here in kingdom minded, because what Jesus did is Jesus finished like ministering to a big crowd. And so now he's got back on land, and so he went up to get away from all the crowds and brought just his disciples, and he sat down, he taught them, saying, hey, okay, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to be a disciple of me, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. This is what it looks like to be kingdom-minded. So that's what we're going to be looking at. So um, for any of you that has a physical Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. For those of you that have your notes, it's going to be on the back side of your notes. That way you have that, and you can follow along with this. Um, but before I get started on that, um, some of you might not care at all about this question with feedback, but I know some of you very much will. Um, I just want to play a little scenario. Someone be great. Please be gracious with this. Imagine that I transferred to Oakland High School from Maryville High School. Okay. So I transferred from the arch rivals of Oakland High to, or from some, yeah, the arch rivals from Oakland High, Maryville Red Rebels down here. And so imagine I transferred here, okay? I'm now in the rightness, if you will. I've been brought to the light. I'm now an Oakland Patriot, okay? So so I've been brought from the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, if you will, in that sense. But but imagine, imagine though, even though I'm now, let's say, an Oakland Patriot, okay? Every time that things get brought up, I never mention them at all. In fact, you'll see me post stuff about Maryville High School. You'll see me wear apparel that has Red Rebels all over. You'll see me talk nonstop about how great their football team is and how incredible they are. Like, how would you respond to me on that? Even though I say, I'm proud to be an Oakland Patriot. Like, I'm proud to be one. I'm proud to be here. But all I talk about, or all it seems like, is I'm no different than someone from Maryville High School. How would you respond to that? Okay, I'm fake. Nice. You should just go back. <laughs> you, should, <laughs> you should just go back. Okay. So why why am I fake? Why should I go back? Either one. I mean, if you're saying that you're happy to be at Oakland, you would talk about how you're happy to be at Oakland. Mm-hmm. Not like how much you like. It's okay to talk about like if you miss something. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, you, you would question, question my fandom or my, yeah, I guess, allegiance, if you will, to the Oakland Patriots. Yes. Okay? Because I say one thing, but then my actions say another thing. Well, in, in, in the same way, in a way, what I want us to look at in this is Jesus says we are to be salt and light. And one way we're supposed to do that, we're supposed to not reflect the ways of this world. 
So imagine if we say, okay, I love Christ. He, he is my all in all. He is my everything. But then our actions don't line up with that phrase. Maybe things we post, maybe things we wear, maybe people we interact with, maybe things that we do to where you would say, I, I'm not like you say this, like you say you're a follower of Christ. You say you love Christ, but then your actions say a whole different thing. Like you say you love Christ, but, but just not everything's aligning. And, and I'm, I'm not sure why. Or you would, even, you would even question, just like you would question the allegiance or loyalty of that person to, let's say, Oakland. You might, you might question someone like, is, is their faith truly genuine and living for Christ? And, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. Us, we, we are fallen, sinful human beings, okay? We have a sin nature, and we're prone to want to just go kind of with the ways of the world. We're prone to want to just not cause any confrontation. We don't want to deal with any issues like that. We might want to do whatever makes kind of other people comfortable and like that. We just want to avoid all of it altogether. But what we see in this passage tonight is that that is not what Christ is calling us to. That, that if we are truly to live for Christ, we're going to be set apart. That we're going to live such a different life that it's in many ways, in some ways, it's going to be in total contrast to the ways of this world and how we are to represent Christ in the world. In fact, so here is the main point that I want us to get out of this is to be kingdom minded, is to have our lives be a testimony to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So for those of you that are following along on your notes, if you look right underneath uh, the title on the note side, it'll just say main point, have a line. And so that's where that's where this part will go. It says to be kingdom minded is to have our lives be a testimony to the person and work of Jesus Christ. That we live such lives that it stands out. It is different from other people. That it is different from the ways of this world. Not saying that we'll be perfect. Not saying that we won't fall. Not saying that we won't have issues. Not saying that we won't have stuff we are working on. That's not what I'm saying. But we will live such different lives that it's a testimony to Christ. That we are salt and light as this passage is going to say. So we're in Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16, where it says this. Again, you can follow along either in your physical Bibles or on the back side um, of your notes as well that I have it. So this is the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket Put under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you, uh, despite just kind of all the storms and everything going on. Thank you for letting us gather here tonight as we just gather around your word. So I pray just, Lord, that, that you will just free us up from any distractions, whether they be our phones or our neighbors, maybe even stuff that's going on in our personal lives or other people's lives. And would you just let us focus in on your word? That, that Holy Spirit, you'll help open up our eyes to see this and see our need for Christ. You'll open up our mind to understand and comprehend just these truths from your word. And you'll just open up our hearts to receive it and just have it plant and just produce fruit in our lives that glorifies and honors Christ. As we learn what it means to be salt and light to the world around us that is in such desperate need of you. So Lord, would you just... Have your words speak, how to be your truths and not my opinion. And anything that is of my own words that these students will forget and not remember, but it'll be your truth that is planted and produces fruit that glorifies and honors your son, Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
So like I said, so um, like I said, context behind this is that Christ is speaking to his disciples. So he's not speaking to a big crowd. He's speaking to his 12 disciples that he's picked out. So these are people that are already following Christ. So he's already ministering. So he's saying, okay, if you're a follower of Christ, this is what it looks like. And so the first thing he says is this. There's two ways that we are to be a testimony to Christ. And the first one is this, is we are to stay close to Christ. We are to stay close to Christ. And so here's, here's what it says. You are the salt of the earth. So what he's saying by is when he says you are the salt of the earth, he is, he's making a very emphatic statement by saying you are. So what he's saying is he's not saying that you are becoming the salt of the earth. He's not saying this is my recommendation that you become the salt of the earth. He's saying, no, you are the salt of the earth. Meaning if we have repented and believed in Christ, this is what we are. This is who we are to be. We are to be salt of the earth. And so that's where we're being. What are we being salt to? We're being salt to the earth, salt of the earth. So what's the point of salt? Like, what's the significance? Because I think nowadays we just see salt and we think, okay, we just sprinkle that on our fries or we use that to season different things. But back then, salt was a very significant thing in the Old Testament now. So salt was added to sacrifices that we see in the Old Testament. It was associated with purity. It was symbolic of loyalty. But I think the two ones that Jesus is really honing in on is these two. First one is the rabbis used it to symbolize wisdom. So salt represented wisdom. And the second one is it was used to preserve food from bacteria because back then they didn't have fridges like we have now. Like when we have something we need to store, we'll just put it in the fridge and it's good for a while. But they didn't have that. So salt was used as a preservation so that way bacteria wouldn't infect the food because sometimes salt would literally be the difference between life and death with what would come into the food. So they would use salt to preserve the food, but also symbolizing wisdom. And I think that's the two things that Jesus is really honing in on. That's referring to wisdom and it's referring to preservation, that we are to be wise while we're walking in this world and we're to preserve this world. So we're being salt for the earth. And so what the earth means, is, okay, if we're supposed to be wise, if we're supposed to preserve stuff, what are we supposed to preserve the earth? And what the earth is, it's humankind. So it's the people around us. So it's the people we attend class with. It's the people we live next to. It's the people that we play sports alongside. That is who we are to be salt to. That is who we are to be wise around. And that's what we're to prevent. So the first thing is we must preserve ourselves from corruption. And we're supposed to influence and benefit the world with the gospel around us to become more of like a pure and palatable place. So what we're supposed to do is we're to, we're to prevent and confront corruption in the world. We're to prevent and confront corruption in the world. Why? Because we know, we know what true sin is and we've been delivered from that. And so we want to be able to preserve other people from that. That we want to keep other people from corruption. That we want to be that salt that preserves people. That allows people that literally could be life and death with regards to this. And with sin, it is a matter of life and death. But one of the biggest and most important ways that we can prevent and confront corruption is by starting with ourselves. So we must not allow the ways of this world to influence us with our testimony for Christ. In fact, in fact, John talks about this in 1 John 2, 15 and 17, where it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. 
They're saying, if you love the world more than God, then, then the love of the Father is not in you. Because why? He says, the world and all of its desires are passing away. But those who do the will of the Lord abide forever. Because says, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, all those different things, they're not from God, but they're from this world. We're, we're to prevent ourselves from being corrupted by that. Because we've seen how it's corrupt us to begin with, and we've been delivered from that. So we no longer want it to destroy our spiritual lives as we live for him. Or in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it talks about how we're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind through the word of God. Why? So we might be living sacrifices for God. So we might be a living testimony to what God has saved us and delivered us from. So what that means is if we're to preserve the world and influence the world and benefit the world with the gospel, then we cannot allow anything to impede our process, our pursuit of Christ. So here's the thing. We cannot influence the world if the world is influencing you. You cannot influence the world if the world is influencing you. Because it's, it's hard to try to influence the world if you're allowing, if you're trying to say you're following Christ, but instead you're following the ways of this world. It's hard to tell people to follow Christ when you're heading in the same direction as everybody else. That we're not to allow things to hinder our pursuit of Christ and representing Christ in this world. Because there's like, once we start to allow one bit of the world, one bit of sin to fester in our hearts... Once we try to dabble in and interact with just a certain sin, even if we think it's just a tiny little sin. James says how severe this is. In James 1.15, it says, When we allow a sin to fester, it gives birth and it continues to grow until it produces death. That when we allow sin to grow in our hearts and we interact with saying, well, it's just one sin. It's just one tiny thing over here that's not affecting anybody else. But soon enough, sin grows and it affects us and affects those around us. And ultimately, it hinders our testimony to Christ. So let me ask you this, are you allowing anything to hinder your walk with Christ? Is maybe there a certain sin that you're continually doing that could hinder your testimony for Christ? Is there something you feel like that no one else knows about, but you know that you think, okay, this is one tiny thing for me. No one else knows about it. It's not affecting anybody else, but it's just for me. Here's the thing. What, what I implore you is run to Jesus. Run back to him. And for those who might feel guilt or shame that that might be holding you back, that Christ forgives all sins. He's not like saying, well, you only had that one little thing. He's saying, no, bring it all to me because he's already died on the cross for every last bit of it. Because we understand that we come to Christ, we, we bring nothing and he forgives us of all of our sins. And he continually forgives us of our sins when we fall because he knows we're going to fall. He knows we're going to mess up. He knows that's what's going to happen, but he still is there with us every step of the way. And so we're to not let anything hinder us from our pursuit of Christ. And that's freeing too, knowing that there's no sin he cannot forgive, that we can give it over to him and he empowers us to live for him. But here's what we look at though. When we allow that sin to fester, when we allow that sin to grow, and we keep messing with that sin and trying to keep it at bay. Here's what it says, okay? If we're salt of the earth, but here's the thing. Look at what it says in verse 13 next. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. So when we allow uh, sin to fester in our hearts and have the world influence us more, then it says we shall lose our saltiness. That, that we shall lose this effectiveness, this, this wisdom, and, and being able to prevent corruption in the world. Why? Because we have allowed corruption to infect us and influence us. But again, another way I would say we lose our saltiness is we become foolish. Because again, this saltiness, it's a wisdom and it's a preservation. And so we are to be wise on this. But when we lose our saltiness, we're, we're just becoming foolish on this. 
Because why? We are living for the world and following the ways of this world rather than following Christ and living for Christ. In fact, if we proclaim to be a follower of Christ, but we look no different than the world around us, some people would question that. You know, if we say we, we let's say, are a diehard fan of a certain team, like I said at the beginning, but sure enough, we look exactly like the rivals of that team. They would question, do you really root for that team? And if we proclaim to be Christ, but, but our actions are not aligned with that, then some people might question our faith. Now, I'm not saying your faith is not genuine, because, and I'm not saying we're perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us. It's not saying once we become a follower of Christ that everything's perfect, that all everything's gone, we know have no struggles. No, we have struggles. We have hardships. We fight against sin every single day, but it's that continual fight against sin. It's that slow process becoming more like Christ. It's that slow process becoming more like him. Because there's the thing, we as followers of Christ, we've had our eyes open to the foolishness of this world and the uselessness of just this world's philosophy of follow your heart, do what makes you happy, speak your truth. We've been opening up our eyes to, to those lies and deception. We've repented and turned to Christ. Why? Because we know that Christ is better, that he is the way. But when we return to the world and, and think their ways are better than God's ways, then we are just returning back to the sin and foolishness that Christ saved and delivered us from. That, that if any people who follow Christ should know why, because we have truly had our eyes open to see this. But when we open up our eyes and we try to just slowly return, well, I think maybe the world might know better than God is we're returning back to foolishness. In fact, there's a proverb in this, Proverb 2611, where where says this, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. So like when we try to return back to the ways of this world, we, we continually do that, continually over and over again, think, okay, this is what will make me happy. This is what will truly satisfy me. This is what will truly be best for me. It's like a dog returning to its vomit. It, why return to the vomit of this world? We have the bread of life. We have the endless banquet of God's love and mercy and forgiveness that never ends. And we can enjoy the bread of life that is Christ, the, the living water that is him. In fact, in Luke's account of this, Luke 14, 34, he goes even a step further about what happens when we lose our saltiness. It says, we lose our saltiness, we're no longer good for soil or even the manure pile. That, that he says it's not good for anything. That, that you're, you're good for neither. Because here's the thing, when we lose our saltiness... We lose our usefulness. What I mean by we lose our usefulness, it's, it's useful in being able to advance the kingdom of God on earth. That, that someone might even question the genuineness of a person's kingdom citizenship. That, that we cannot be useful for, for, the way, for Christ in advancing his kingdom if we are living for our own kingdom. We can't have that. In fact, it says that, that you cannot serve two masters because you will love the one and hate the other. You'll despise the one and be devoted to the other. We'll lose our usefulness. Uh, an illustration I'd use to kind of describe this is, is imagine, let's say you take a bath to clean yourself off, right? Okay, you're dirty. You want to clean yourself off and use a bath. But imagine then the next day, use that same bath water you used yesterday. It's, that's pretty gross, right? Like... Why? Because if you use it, you're just like, it might be kind of effective the next day, but you're just washing off more dirt. And then if you use that same bathwater the next day, you're just getting off more dirt and grime in it until it is just completely just useless. It's just why? Because it's so dirty and gross and disgusting that you can't even use it anymore. Why? You need a fresh set of water. You need to purify that water. You need a 
fresh thing of water to be able to clean yourself off. And so here's the thing that we got to remember where our saltiness comes from, where this usefulness comes from. It all comes from the kingdom of heaven, that it comes from God himself. Our saltiness, our usefulness comes from Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. That we must daily be pursuing him. That we cannot run off yesterday's bread. We cannot run off, let's say, yesterday's water, if you will. We need new water and fresh water today. We need to daily be pursuing him because our saltiness comes from the kingdom of heaven. Remember, we are the salt of the earth representing the kingdom of heaven. So we must fight against these sinful desires every single day of our life. We must look to the cross of Christ. We got to remember what it cost Christ, what it cost God to forgive us of our sin, that it cost him his son. We got to remember what it cost God to rescue us from our sin. We have to remember how much, though, God loves us. Not only to rescue us from our sin, but us to be conformed more and more into his image and even be used by him to represent his kingdom. That, that us, even, even if we slowly start going away, that we can be brought back into right relationship with him. Us who once followed the ways of this world, us who once wanted nothing to do with God, how Christ, how Christ still pursues us, dies for us, and welcomes us to follow him and be used by him to represent his kingdom. And so you can be refreshed and renewed any moment. It's not that you have to do all these certain checklists to get back right with God and regain the saltiness or usefulness. You can do it tonight, that, that you return back to Christ. That you just say, I'm, I'm sorry for what I've been doing. And he is faithful to forgive us. He's not saying like, oh, about time. He's not saying like, well, you got to do this, that, like check off these lists. You got to attend church a certain amount of times. You got to sign up for these events and then come back. And he says, no, no. When we repent of our sins and turn back to Christ, he's faithful to forgive us in that moment. So here's the thing. As we remember the power of the gospel, as we remember what Christ did for us, he will empower us to fight against our sin while we're able to confront the sin of the world. So not only does he preserve us and, and help us and deliver us from the corruption of this world, he continually empowers us to fight against that corruption. He continually fight, empowers us to fight against sin, to repent against sin, to no longer want to associate with that. And as we do that, we're now able to also go into this world that is corrupt and help others, point others to this, point others to, to their need for Christ and how they're being corrupted by sin. So as we fight against our sin, as we present ourselves, as we preserve and prevent ourselves from sin and confront the sin of this world, as we grow more in Christ, and we'll be able to do the second thing we are to do is this, is we're to point others to Christ. So the first thing is to remember that we need to stay close to Christ, that we understand that this, this world is a fallen sinful world that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, that he is going to do whatever he can to try to draw us away from Christ. So we must stay close to Christ as the anchor of our souls and everything we need. And as we do that, as we remember the gospels, we stay close to Christ and that's going to influence us. That's going to impact our lives. So now we can live for him and point others to Christ. Point others to Christ. Look at what it says in verse 14 through 16. It says, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so the first part is that you are the salt of the earth. Now it is you are the light of the world. And so world and earth are just very synonymous in this. Again, it's meaning people around us. We are to be a light to those around us. That light is the same as salt. That is very distinctive in its effects of the world around us. And what's the point of light? It's to make things visible. Like just now when we wanted to see stuff, we flipped on the light so we can actually see what's going on around us. 
And so what it's meaning here is where it says, let your light shine before others. It's making the truth of Christ known. That it's making the truth of Christ known. So he gives us two examples here of how we make the light of Christ known. The truth of Christ known. The first is that we are a city set on a hill. So it says in verse 14, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. But it's kind of awkward wording. Well, basically what it's meaning is like when you see a city set on a hill, like it's pretty obvious. It's pretty set apart from everything else around it. Like it is set at a high point that people can see. They see where this city is. So just as Jesus is saying that there's this city set on a hill, so is Christ set us apart to live for him and represent him wherever we go. So when we are saved by Christ, that we are, we are set apart from the world. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, that we are to be holy just as God is holy. That we have been set apart as a royal priest, that we've been set apart as witnesses for him. We've been set apart to represent him and point others to him. Because Jesus set us apart for a reason. Jesus set us apart not to walk in our old ways, but to walk in newness of life. Jesus set us apart not to walk in our old ways, but to walk in the newness of life that he's given us. That he has saved us from our sin. He has saved us from our old way of living. And he's brought newness of life that we can embrace and walk in every single day. That we can be refreshed daily. That we can come back to him daily. That we can live for him. In fact, Christ has given us himself and to make that known to others. So that we might be able to be delivered. They might be able to be delivered and live for Christ. To live as a light for Christ, to go against the, the new nature, so to live or to live for the world instead of living for Christ and to not live as the light of Christ is to go against the new nature that we have received as a new creation in Christ. So the second thing is it's like lighting a lamp and putting it on a stand. So imagine this. So where it says in this passage, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. So here is what it is saying. Um, Imagine this. When the power goes out, it's been storming a lot recently. Imagine when the power goes out. What's the first thing you normally do? Sit there a while and come back. Okay, but if not, if it's going to be a while, what else do you do? So you can see. Light candle. Get a flashlight, right? Why? So you can see. So you can see what's around you. You can go check on other people. So you can make sure everybody is set. And so, um, so imagine this, imagine if let's say, okay, power goes out, you need to take care of, you want to see where everybody else is at and you go, all right, all right, I got this. And you light a flashlight, but then like you put tape over it, you cover the, you cover up the flashlight or you light a candle and you just put something over it. Why? (laughs) Yeah. Why? Like. Why? Like, you're not helping anybody at all. Like, the whole point of the light is to shine brightly and to help others so others can see. And so why, why would you light a flashlight and then cover it up? It's useless at that point. Like, there's, there's no need for it. It makes no sense, let's say, turn on a flashlight and then cover it up when you're trying to help people see and even get to safety potentially in some ways. It makes no sense in this case when, let's say, you light a, ba- when you light a lamp and you put a basket over it. And put in the corner instead of, let's say, putting it on a stand for the whole house to see. That way the whole house can see and understand that. It makes no sense 
In the same way, it makes no sense for us to be saved by Christ, been brought into the marvelous light of Christ that he shone on us to bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life, but then hide that light from others. That Christ wants to shine his light through us so that others might be saved. That we should not be ashamed of the one who has saved us and delivered us. So do you live in such a way where it seems that you are ashamed of Christ? Do you shy away from talking about Christ with your friends when he is brought up? Or do you shy away from speaking up about Christ or representing him when a coworker or teammate is doing something that doesn't honor Christ and you participate in that, per se? So let me ask you this. Sorry, let's make sure everything else was set. Um, so let me, let me kind of give this illustration of, of why it makes no sense or why would we want to do that and not live for Christ. Imagine, okay, that, that I said, okay, I love my wife, Rebecca, all right? I love her to death. She's the best. She's incredible, right? But, but I never really spend time with her. I never really tell others about her. I really don't post any pictures, things like that of it. Like, or even let's say if someone brings up like, oh man, like I saw your wife at the store, whatever. Oh man, she made a really awesome thing. Like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Like, that'd be really weird, wouldn't it? Like, I say I love Christ, but, like, if I'm not interacting with her, I'm not, like, talking about her when other people bring her up or things like that. It would almost seem like, in a way, like I'm ashamed of her. And it shouldn't be like that. It, it should be where it's like, man, like, I, I love my wife. Like, like, let me tell you about how incredible my wife is. Like, let me tell you about, like, the awesome pizza bake she made that I can't wait to eat, you know, for supper, things like that. Like, we, we want, like, we, we would want to tell people about that, right? Because if we have a relationship with someone that we care deeply about, we would want to make that known to other people. Or how about even more of a, a serious example like this? Imagine that, let's say you have cancer, all right? Imagine that you have cancer and it's just, it's really debilitating. But imagine you found the cure for cancer. You discovered it and you found it and you're able to heal yourself. But then when it came to trying to tell other people about it, you would kind of shy away from it and you would keep it to yourself and you wouldn't tell anybody about it. Like that, that would be a really... Serious thing. Why? Because you have something that, that people need that you want other people to know about. And so you want to tell other people about this. Like, look, like I, just, I found this. I discovered this cure and I want other people to know about it and, and have them healed of this disease that just plagues so many people. In the same way, it should be us with our relationship with Christ that we are saying, okay, you know what? Like, I have this relationship with Christ. I've been delivered from sin. I've been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And, and he has changed everything about me. And so we would want to make that known. We want to live so evidently that we've been so impacted, that we have truly encountered the living God. Seriously, Christian's life should be visible and obvious, not secret and hidden. That it should be visible and obvious, not secret and hidden. That, that it should be obvious to other people around us that we are following Christ, that we are living for him. How it says in Ephesians 5, how he has shone, shown the light of Christ on us. It says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and let the light of Christ shine upon you. That we had the light of Christ shine upon us, brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life, and now we shine that light to other people. Because just like our saltiness, how, how that does not come from ourselves, it comes from Christ. Same thing with this light, it all comes from Christ. It comes from Christ to shine that light to other people around us. That we shine that light to others that other people might know. And so how do we do that? We do that through our good works. 
We do the good works around us. So look what it says in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we make the truth of Christ known by how we live our lives. We make the truth of Christ known by how we live our lives. That we live such a righteous life that it is fully set apart from anything else. That, that, it, that it brings questions like something's different about that person. That people take notice of it. Why? Because when we live for Christ, there's going to be some ways where we live radically different in comparison to the ways of this world. That when we start living for Christ, it will stick out to people, whether it be for good or for bad. Why? Because when we shine the light of Christ to others around us, there's people that are living in darkness. There's people living in darkness and we're shining a light that just like just a few minutes ago when we were all singing and then it was really dark and then we flipped on the light, what did a bunch of you do? Like your eyes had to adjust. Why? Because like it hurt. Because you your eyes were so used to the darkness around you that, that all of a sudden the light was flipped on. It kind of like bothered you for a second. Well, imagine, let's say on, on another scale, imagine if let's say you were spending like all night in your room. Or this might be some of you tomorrow. Is, is you have a really dark room, everything else, and all of a sudden the light gets flipped on, the blinds get opened up, and it's super bright in your room. Well, I don't think you're going to react all happy, like, oh, man, thank you for doing that. That, like, that, like, made my day, that you just, you know, you open up all the blinds, all the lights, and now I can't see a thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> why? Because, like, our first reaction is, like, it hurt. Like, it hurt our eyes. Like, our eyes have to adjust on that. Well, here's the thing, in the same way, like when we go and live for Christ and we're shining a light for Christ on others and we're telling other people about how they need a savior, how, how they're, that like this world has fallen, that we're fallen sinful human beings and we need Christ, we're going to shine a light on that. And some people, they might not react the way we expect first thing. They might be a little bit hard towards us initially. Why? Because maybe they've been living in darkness for years, maybe decades, and when we shine the light, it, it might hurt because like, they're being confronted with the truth of the gospel with their lives. And that can be tough for other people. But the beautiful thing is as we continually shine the light of Christ, as we continually do that, the hope is that more and more over time, people's eyes will adjust and they'll see their need for a savior. They'll see their need for a savior. They'll see their need for Christ. They want to come to him that they will repent and believe as well. And this is what it says. It says, why do we let our light shine before others so that may see our good works. Our good works is not to bring glory to ourselves, but it's to bring glory to God. It's not to earn salvation. It's not to earn extra brownie points with God. It's because we have been transformed by the gospel. We've encountered the living God. We've encountered just a love beyond comparison so much that just a natural overflow is we want to live for him. Not to say I want to get extra brownie points, not to say I want to get anything extra on it, but like because I've been so transformed, because I love Christ so much that, that I freely do this, because I love him so much, that we want to go tell others about him, that we live such lives that it's radically different, that we are not ashamed of Christ, but instead we live out that Romans 1.16 mindset where it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. And so we are to shine our light for Christ for others around us. As you go back to school, or some of you that are in school, you're to shine the light of Christ to those around you. That you have been placed there 
to shine the light of Christ to those around you, to tell other people about him, that you live a life so radical, so different for Christ that represents him well, that it, that it brings questions. It just, it inspires just kind of curiosity from that. You're able to tell other people about him and watch as Christ saves those people through your life, that, that he's able to use you to point others to him and they're able to be saved. And they're able to know this last part, as it says, and give glory to your father who is in heaven. To give glory to your father who is in heaven. So to give glory, it's to, to make manifest or make visible. So we're making visible the character of God. As we live our life for Christ, we're making visible the character of God. As we live our life for Christ, we're making visible the heart of Christ for his creation, for his humanity, for his people that he came and died for. That we are making the gospel known to those around us so that they can repent and believe and truly be transformed and delivered. And the most important thing is to give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew saying this is significant. It's radical that he said to your Father who is in heaven. That he wanted these people to understand that, that faith in Christ, that representing his kingdom is not just some religious thing. It's not just some organizational thing. But living in the kingdom of God, it's a deep relationship with God. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of everything desires to have a relationship with us. That despite all of our sin, all of our faults, all of our failures, he desires to have a relationship with us. He sent Christ to die for us, to forgive us all those sins for all of time, past, present, future. To make us his children in right relationship with him, but then to go out and be able to use us, to send us back out into the earth, to be salt and light, to preserve it from corruption, to help proclaim the gospel, to have see other people become new creations as he slowly redeems the world, and to shine the light of Christ to other people around them so that others might be able to believe and then go out and shine that light to other people as well. That we can have our lives be a testimony for Christ as we are salt and we are light. But the only way we can do that is if we truly know God. So let me ask you this. Do you know God as your heavenly father? Have you truly repented and believed in Christ? Have you truly seen the heart of God and see your need for him and repented and believed? In regards to this, is, is your life a testimony about Christ and what he did for you on the cross? Does your life speak to this truth? Are you clinging more to the cross of Christ or to the ways of this world? Are you seeing Christ as better than everything else? Are you holding something in creation in high regard to the creator himself? And lastly, are you pointing others to Christ or to yourself? Where is the spotlight of your life on? Is it shining brightly onto God and pointing others to him and seeing, seeing our need for him? Or are you pointing it on to yourself and trying to magnify yourself and build your kingdom? Which kingdom are you building? And so that, that is my challenge for us tonight is that, that we should be living lives that are salt and light. That we are preserving other people. That we're shining our light for others. That we are representing Christ well. That our lives, every aspect of it, is a living testimony to the power of Christ. The power of the gospel. That it represents the person of Christ and his finished work on the cross. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us. And then I want us to kind of enter into a time of response. So I'm just going to play one more song. And so while that song is playing, you can, you can either um, write your response down on that. You could pray or you could just stand up and sing along with the song. However, kind of the spirit leads you on that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us and we'll enter into a time of response. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you just so much for tonight. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Thank you that...
despite any of our faults, our failures, our shortcomings, that Christ still loves us. That, that despite just anything we could do, that, that our usefulness comes from him. So would you remind us just everything we need and everything we have only comes from Christ and we boast in him alone. Would you help us be salt to the earth around us? Would you help us go into the world around us and be able to, to lovingly confront sin in the world and to point others to you? And would you keep us from sin? Would you help us stay so close to Christ? Would you help us just cling to the cross and remember where our grace comes from every single day? Remember where our mercy and strength and love comes from every single day. And I pray, Lord, would you just help us shine the light of Christ to others? Don't let us hide it. Don't let us conceal it. Don't let us be ashamed of Christ. But let us go out with boldness and confidence in who Christ is and who we are in Christ. That we know that now that we have been saved by Christ, we have been redeemed and reconciled. And now we can go and be ambassadors for Christ and tell others and implore others, be reconciled to God. Would you help us live lives that are so righteous that people can't help but take notice? Would you help us be steadfast in shining that light on others, that, that we go into this dark world and shine the light of Christ for others, that even if initially they might be hard or callous towards us, that slowly over time that, that the gospel will just work on their heart and you will praise, replace hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Would you help us respond accordingly? Would you help us go back into our schools, sports teams, neighborhoods, and that we will be a representative of Christ, that our lives will be a living testimony for the power of the gospel, for the person of Christ and his finished work on the cross. It's in his holy, precious name we pray. Amen.